Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. And this week, as we count down to our 100th episode, it's all about mentoring. Now, the need, if you like, for this particular podcast came out of the chat in one of the webinars that I host. I host webinars monthly on a whole range of topics, and they tend to be pretty interactive. And the need for this came out of one of those. And the way in which I thought it would be useful to gather up to the date information, because I have had experience personally of setting up mentoring programs, but I wasn't sure how relevant my experience was nowadays. So what we did was we set up something called a collaboration focus group. And this collaboration focus group was a group of six to eight people who all shared their experiences and ideas on this topic. And from that, I was able to gather together some really new, fresh ideas and include them within this podcast. There's also a download as well, which might be useful to you that you can gather from the the website as ever. So these collaboration focus groups are going to take place over the course of 2021. We've got them coming up on talent management and diversity and inclusion, and we will be looking for participants to take part in them. I don't want large numbers because I want them to be interactive. And it's not really people who are interested in the topic because anyone who's interested in the topic can benefit from the podcast when we put it out. What I'm after is people who've got something to share about each topic. So if you think you might be interested in taking part in one of these in future, then join our LinkedIn group, the HR Uprising LinkedIn group, because we post in there first and foremost when the dates are and what the topic's going to be. And we start to gather our audience there. You can also follow me on Twitter if you don't already, because I'll also, if there's a couple of spare places, I'll put it out on Twitter. So they're really informal, just nice chat, but that's a way in which we're able to almost crowdsource current ideas. And it gives us good content, hopefully, that you're going to benefit from in this episode that you can share with others. So that's how we come about. So keep an eye out for the Focus Collaboration Groups. Join the HR Uprising group if you haven't already. And the other thing just to mention is we've got a few spaces left on our open training programs, the virtual management training program, and also our brand new Accelerate Potential for entry-level professionals. If you want to look at that, that might be useful for someone in your organisation. They've got brilliant feedback, I have to say. So uh, do feel free to look at those. And also keep an eye out for the competitions that we're going to be running as we run up to our 100th episode. There's some great prizes. And one of the prizes is three months access to our brand new Actus Academy. Again, aimed at managers who with virtual management skills, there's e-learning, there's video learning, there's loads of resources and content that you can access there. So keep an eye out for that. And if you want to know more about it, just go to the website www hruprising.com. So over to the main episode. 
how to set up a mentoring program. I really hope it is something that's of use to you. I think mentoring is something that's really topical and useful. Perhaps it's a sign of the times right now, which is why so many people want to know more about it. So I hope you'll find this practical and useful episode. And just a nod to the next couple of weeks. Next week, I'm really excited that we've got Perry Timms coming on talking all about the energised workplace. How relevant is that? And then finally, our 100th episode, I have got the guru who is Dave Ulrich coming along. So do keep tuning in over the next few weeks. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week we have a solo episode, so you've just got to put up with me this week. However, the topic I hope will make it interesting because I know it's something that many people were interested in. So the topic is how to make mentoring work in your organisation or how to set up a mentoring programme if that's something you're interested in. So the idea for this episode actually came about because I've been running a number of webinars. So I know many of you have actually joined us on these webinars over the course of the year. And actually, if you haven't, they've been really popular. Um, They'll be going forward into 2021. There's a few full schedule on the, the website. And each month there'll be a theme and I'll do an HR related webinar and also a manager oriented webinar. So a more practical one, maybe a strategic and a more practical one. Um, Topic in January should be uh, engagement. So if you listen out for that, that will be available imminently if it hasn't already happened, depending when this podcast goes out. As you can guess, I'm recording before Christmas. However, the reason I'm telling you that is that the during the webinars, which have been really popular at a peak, we had 350 people attending it. And the chat has been fantastic to such an extent that people have been building relationships and sharing information in the chat of the webinars. And one of these chats was about mentoring, where a number of people posted that they would really like help with mentoring. I think I mentioned it, it was probably during the Building a Learning Organisation podcast. And a number of people said they wanted to make mentoring work. They weren't quite sure how to do it or where to start. Hence, this podcast came about. Now, I did have some experience in setting up mentoring, some actually quite a lot of experience in setting up and running mentoring programmes in my dim and distant past. However, that was 10 years ago and I was keen to understand what's current and what people were finding today. And What we therefore did was invite those people who were interested from the webinar and we put together something that we are now terming a focus collaboration group. And these people, I'm going to name check them because they contributed to this podcast. So thank you very much. So I want to shout out to Laura Kelly, Andrea Hodgson, Rosa Coble, Heather Davenport, Kevin Larvin, and Liz Parr and Duncan Payne, sorry. So thank you to these guys. They were our inaugural focus collaboration group and we came together and shared our insights and our challenges around mentoring. And I've pulled that information together and that forms part of this content. And as is usual, I've also done some of my own research and put some of my own practical tips in as well. Therefore, I thought this would be quite a valuable session for people We've also got some resources that I'll mention at the end if you want resources, things like a mentoring contract. So as ever, we've got links on the show notes, hruprising.com. If you're trying to set up a mentoring programme, hopefully this podcast will be pretty practical for you. And there's also some useful links that can help you do it if you want them that you can access from the show notes. 
So, and finally, of course, Focus Collaboration Group, because it was so successful, we are going to run more of them. Now, the point of them is they're not training sessions. They are facilitation sessions. They need to be small for us to be able to hear from everybody. We run them for an hour on a specific topic. And actually, we're going to uh, prioritise people who are formed part of our LinkedIn HR Uprising Group. So they potentially would be able to say if they want to take part in them. We will be selective because the purpose of them is for people who have information to share um, on a particular topic that we can then curate and bring together and share on a wider on a wider platform. So do keep an eye out because, uh, as I say, we're going to be looking for topics around engagement, um, you know, how to make it really work, what's really new with engagement, talent management, a whole range of topics we're going to pick up with people, performance management, the whole thing, does year-round performance management really work? Have check-ins really taken off in your organisation? What are the tips for making that happen? So we're going to do focus collaboration groups monthly throughout the year. We'll have small groups of people and we'll use that to make sure that we're bringing really relevant topics um, and content uh, that's been well curated to you guys who are listening in. Anyway, enough about that. Let's get on to the topic of the moment, which is all about how we can make mentoring work in our own organisations and the practicalities of setting up a mentoring programme. So, first of all, why is now a really good time to think about mentoring? And of course, why are people thinking about mentoring right now? Now, I think the obvious one is that remote working means that people they need different access to development. And if we think about on-the-job learning in terms of the 70-20-10 approach to uh, learning that's very much advocated, and if you're not familiar with that, that's saying that actually only 10% of our learning should come from formal courses, 20% should be more incidental from other people, and 70% should be from on-the-job experiences and challenges. So with that model in mind, because we're working remotely, yes, we can probably get courses if we switch to online, say, e-learning um, courses or formal. We've been running lots of formal courses, but they are virtual. So you can learn through those. But one of the other benefits is also learning through other people. Now, arguably, the 20 is learning through other people. You could say you get that on a live course as well, if it's well facilitated, if you have breakouts where you can go and talk to people and learn from them. So I think mentoring fits a little bit into that 20% of learning from other people, but also it could be 70% from on-the-job challenges uh, because some of the time you want to go and speak to people about those uh, in terms of it's not just doing. You need to reflect on that doing, maybe with a line manager or with a coach, and we'll talk about the difference between these two types. So we know that with remote working, people need to keep on learning and they haven't got the same access to people to do that. So mentoring is a way in which we can formalise that. We also find that it's good for us in terms of supporting a range of a range of reasons. And actually, I'll run through some of the strategic reasons because there were about five or six different reasons that came out of our focus collaboration group. But broadly, it would be about supporting people's career development, engagement, diversity and, and training, retaining talent. And again, in a remote workplace, how do we do that? We can't gather people together so easily in a hybrid environment. We need to find out ways in which people have the opportunity to access people. And then the other reason I think think about mentoring properly is that actually mentoring is quite a popular term that's used, but it's quite hard to manage in practice and to get value out of. 
it is my belief and my experience that you need to coordinate it to ensure that people get benefit and also that it's offered to the right people. And I'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of the potential challenges that we need to avoid with things. So let's first of all think strategically, why might we want to set up a a mentoring program? What might be a strategic driver? And if you're thinking of it in your organisation, do you know the why? As you know, in terms of a why in an organisation, it is really helpful if we understand our strategic rationale behind something as opposed to someone just saying, let's just do a mentoring program. And you know, it could be that you've had a learning and development plan or strategy for some time, and it is just time to formalize this. And COVID or forced remote working has made this more important to do right now. It's made it more urgent. It's something you've always meant to get around to, but actually remote working makes it more urgent. That's legitimate. Other strategic drivers though, it may be that not only is the remote working making development more difficult, but also it may be making visibility of ex- expertise harder. And that is something that we've heard of um, when you've been looking at people saying the concerns with the hybrid environment is that perhaps entry level professionals are not getting the same access to people that they might have previously have managed. So. If you have more of a formal mentoring program, then they are going to get that opportunity to have that visibility. And it's two-way visibility where they're seen by the senior people and vice versa, that they're going to, it's going to make it um, clearer and easier for them. The other tool is people have talked about employee engagement. For me, I feel like employee engagement went on the back burner last year, but all of a sudden it's coming to the fore in terms of a hot topic. I guess because if we're engaged, it's about productivity, it's about retention, it's about people being motivated to deliver. So, and people need to be engaged remotely. So hence a mentoring approach might be useful for underpinning engagement. A couple of the groups that we were working with, actually they'd had talent management programs planned for ages and some of them were already in place and they were doing it to nurture a particular demographic. So it might be about diversity, so ensuring that people have got mentors to support diversity and I've seen that um, regularly in terms of uh, a a range of of diverse programs, often females in leadership, females in tech, often they put things like uh, mentoring in place, but it doesn't have to be females. It could be any any demographic that you want to promote. And the other one might be as part of maybe a a rising talent or a a young potential program. Certainly that was an approach that we used to support um, back in my days internal as an internal head of L&D, we would support our sort of young starters rising talent program with mentors. And the other way of doing it, and the other important thing, and actually this is very valid, I think with people retiring and leaving the workplace, is you might have a number of people in the organisation, because we've got a peak of, of a certain demographic leaving an organisation, and they may have very specific technical skills, almost legacy skills that haven't been trained up recently, but you still have them in the organisation. So you could also look to have something like a mentoring program to ensure that those skills are transferred down to other people in the organisation. They're not something you just train people on. It would be more of a mentoring in terms of technical expertise to transfer. So those would be really good strategic drivers. Maybe you've got something different and I've not thought of all of them, but any of those would be good strategic drivers to set up a mentoring program. And you should always have that at the back of your head because obviously it's going to make a difference as to who you're going to recruit as mentors and who you're going to 
allow in as mentees based on the purpose or the strategic driver for that programme. Now, there can be common issues with mentoring programmes and I'd like you to avoid those by listening to this podcast. So one of the issues is that relationships can fizzle out or conversely, they can go on indefinitely. Neither of those is ideal. If they fizzle out, neither party gets value from it and actually you shouldn't bother setting it up as a programme in the first place. If it goes on indefinitely, it causes a real issue because you'll end up where you run out of mentors. And I certainly remember having that experience in my organisation where there was one particular commercial director who was such a great guy. He was, although he was financial, he was a real people person. Everybody wanted him as their mentor and he would mentor people and he would mentor a number of people. But then he, the mentors would, the mentees would never move on. Um, So he just became log jammed. And that's not really appropriate either. Now, the reality is once you've had somebody as a mentor, you'll always have a relationship where you can pick up the phone to them if you've had a good relationship. So the issue is you need to, if you're going to run it as an organisation, give it a start, middle and end so that people can move on from that. They've still got someone as a contact, but the mentors get refreshed and the relationships get refreshed. Other issues are that Maybe people like the idea of a mentor or having a mentor, but neither party's committed to it. That might mean that the mentor themselves can't or won't give the time and quality focus on it, or the mentee may not. Maybe they're not actually that ambitious. They've been seen as high potential, but they're not prepared to put the work in. If you make it very ad hoc, often that means nothing happens. And I think in a remote environment, that could even be more the case. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe are you more likely to put those mentoring meetings in if you're remote than if you're in the office? But certainly not having a structure to it, that often means that they don't gain value. They don't meet frequently enough to gain value or relationships fizzle out. And of course, mentors and mentees vary in skill and motivation. So you need to consider somebody might be a brilliant technical mentor on paper frankly their heart isn't in it in which case you really might as well not bother you'd probably be better off with someone else with a bit of experience who could also use coaching skills there'll be a better relationship so those are all issues that you need to bear in mind that is easy to fall into when you're setting up a mentoring program so before i go into the ins and outs of what setting up a mentoring program or my belief the six steps of setting up a mentoring program I thought it would be useful to just differentiate between mentoring and coaching. Now, there is definitely an overlap. I do see these styles almost as a Venn diagram. However, I'd say that in terms of the interpersonal style of tell or ask, that mentoring, there's more permission for a mentor to be on the tell side, although it's very helpful if they are also able to ask, i.e. coach. And I would say that coaching should be best practice should be more on the ask side. And again, as a coach, ideally you'd be asking questions, but occasionally you might ask permission to tell or give some feedback or make a suggestion. So broadly speaking, they're on opposite ends, in my opinion, of the tell and ask continuum. There are a few other differences as well. Now, one of the main things I say between a mentor and a coach is that you would expect a mentor to have some level of technical expertise or experience that is relevant to that person. It may be about their career or as say technical, it could be about a speciality. Whereas a coach, 
does not have to have technical expertise. They are there in order to almost act as a, as a mirror, as a sounding board. They're there to open up thinking and opportunities. They're there to challenge. So they might focus on specific behaviours or outcomes that people want to achieve or specific goals. The purpose is they're encouraging people to think for themselves, think differently, and actually solve their own problems and find their own answers. And that's therefore, as a coach, it could be your line manager or it could be someone external, depends on the purpose. But it is quite important just to think it's actually much more about us solving it. Whereas as a mentor, it's someone where you might go to for expertise. Mentors tend to be more senior than us and they'd be outside of the direct line. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why um, formalising it in remote working times is quite important because we would often, if you are someone who's an entry-level professional, you're less likely to get access to someone senior. You're not even going to jump in, you're not going to uh, drop or bump into them in the canteen, are you? You're not going to see them in the corridor. So you just don't necessarily have any of that access, that informal access. So this mentoring can be really helpful for people in terms of their career progression. However, the real main thing that's a different piece for me in terms of mentoring compared to coaching is that it should be more formal and structured than line manager coaching. I mean, ideally your mentors are still able to coach and there should be some sort of defined relationship and cadence. And by that, I mean a frequency with which you'd expect the meetings or conversations to take place. And it should have a defined start, end and outputs. So let's look at setting up for success. I have identified five slash six different points of which I would say what you need to do to set up a successful mentoring programme. I'll run through them briefly and then I'll go through each in a little bit more detail. The first one is think about who you're going to recruit. So think about who you are and consider how you're going to match them. Is it going to be on personality, skill, technical ability or something else? The second point is about training or some sort of kickoff. The third point is about defining the frequency and the cadence of this relationship. My fourth point is about defining accountabilities and responsibilities. My fifth point is providing oversight. And my final point is have some sort of end, um, end point or reflection to see whether the goals you wanted to, to achieve have actually been achieved. So let's look at each one in turn. First of all, you're matching your mentor and your mentee. And I talked about that a little bit at the start. You need to think about what's the purpose of your programme. If it's diversity, then you need to make sure that you've got the right population of people. I'd actually also say be realistic about how many people you can involve in this. It's not about giving everyone a senior manager and making them a mentor. You need to think about aptitude, whether people are interested in it. And therefore, you're going to have to be selective also in terms of who gets a mentor. So depending on the size of your organisation, your population, you're going to have to be realistic about maybe cohorts. That's how I did it. Um, cohorts of people that you can bring in um, and the frequency with which you'll run them. And of course, therefore, that makes it very, very important that you have a churn and you have a defined duration of that relationship because then you'll be able to free up mentors and use them again. And you may even start to grow your own mentors where people would come through and be able to mentor others. So think about the um, the purpose of matching them together. And then this actually links into the kickoff and the training. 
So we always did a launch program. We actually did some training for our mentors where we would give them coaching skills, we'd give them self-awareness and we would tell them um, self-awareness generally we take them through a personality tool so they'd understand about their own uh, communication strengths and blind spots. Why is that relevant? Well of course their mentee may or may not be a similar style to them and either can be advantageous or disadvantageous. If they're too similar, then the risk is that they're both comfort zone and see the world in exactly the same way. If they're too different, they may not get each other, they may not connect. So awareness, some sort of personality tool to kick off the programme with awareness is really helpful. Then it's also about educating them on um, coaching skills and some of the rules and behaviours um, around it. And that links on to the other points. So when you do that training or kickoff, you would also tell people what the expectations are in terms of the frequency, purpose of the meeting um, and uh, what the accountabilities are and also how you're going to oversee it and the end point. So you'd communicate that at the training. So going on into the, the frequency and cadence, uh, this to me was something that we learned to do through realising that if you left things running, then you had a problem with mentors running out, basically. Um, and we defined that the mentoring relationships, I think we said they'd go on for six to nine months. You choose what's right in your organisation. And over that six to nine months, you would expect people to have six meetings. Um, and I'm saying it might vary on what the frequency is, but I think six is probably about right um, in terms of the relationships. And we said that they should be about an hour to 90 minute duration. Now, this was when we could do things face to face because generally they were face to face. Um, but you need to think what's right for your organisation. The main thing is you need to set some sort of expectation. That helps you in two ways. One is it means that the mentors are more likely to sign up because they realise that it's actually it's not, you know, they're not on hand the whole time. It's not going to take ridiculous amounts of their time up. But also it means that everyone knows where they are. There's a bit of urgency to get on and have their meetings within the duration and to achieve some sort of output or outcome. The second bit is about mentor and mentee accountabilities. So we had a contracting form and you can download that. I've got a generic example that you're welcome to, you can access, which talks about what your mentor and mentoring contract would be. And essentially that's saying that um, there needs to be a defined outcome. So the mentee needs to think about what do they want to get out of that relationship? It's not there just for a chat. There's got to be purposeful. You've got to make good use of the mentor's time. And then following that, we also put the accountability on the mentee to manage the relationship, to manage any admin, to set up the meetings, to be the proactive one. Because actually, you know, the mentors giving their time up, the mentee should take responsibility and ownership because it's their development predominantly that this is about. So it was very clearly document whose responsibility it was to set up those meetings, etc. Now, of course, things don't always go perfectly. So uh, it, it was helpful to have someone who was in the oversight role. I was an internal learning and development person at that stage. So I would run the oversight. I ran the training. It was my program. I coordinated it. And I actually, when I left and became independent, I also provided um, that, that back into the business as an independent. And in many ways, that was easier than being internal because being internal, there was always other things that made you busy. Whereas when you're external, you've got to dedicate specific time to a task. It um, made it slightly easier in some ways. But the way in which we evolved this oversight was, and actually this might be quite radical to some of you, but it actually seemed to work, was that without us wanting to 
damage the confidentiality of the relationship. So what's said with the mentor and mentee relationship is confidential. However, we did want people to feel that they had some form of outcomes. So we asked the mentor and mentee at their first session, and in some cases this was determined at the kickoff, to identify up to three things that they would like to work on during that mentoring relationship. And then the mentee, it was their responsibility to check in with me on a certain frequency. I can't remember how often it was, to be perfectly honest. I think it was maybe after the first meeting, third meeting at the end, as to whether they'd progressed those outcomes. They didn't have to say what it was, but they had to rate it in terms of the the extent to which they had progressed that specific goal. Now, that was actually really useful for two reasons. One was it gave them a focus both in their meetings and they had to come accountable to to us. The second benefit was the fact that it helped me understand whether those relationships were really working or not. And actually, third benefit, thinking about it, which may have been why we did it in the first place, it actually provided with a level of return on investment for the mentoring programme. Um, because otherwise it's very hard to know whether you're getting anything out of it. People say mentoring is great, but it's all very ephemeral. You don't actually know what the outcomes are from it. So we were trying to get some level of benchmark and progress marker that gave you some metrics. You know, we're all doing balanced scorecards. It gave us some metrics. And then there needs to be an end point. So we do a wrap up and I it wouldn't be a, fam, um, a wrap up meeting, but I would check in with both the mentor and the mentee at the end and get some feedback from them as to what worked, what didn't work, anything we could do to uh, close the programme down. And therefore, we had a nine month cycle of those mentoring taking place. You'd then go to a, an extra three months where we might recruit and plan to set up our next programme. So effectively, it was an annual cycle for that particular cohort. So that hopefully makes sense as something, and I imagine there may be things you you may or may not want to do, but I would certainly say um, all of those, that process, if you like, evolved out of learnings that we got along the way. And um, we put all of those in place in order to just make it as effective as possible and something that was of value, as much value as possible for people uh, to get out of it. So hopefully you've got some takeaways from that. I guess just summarising back in terms of what we talked about, it is a great time to think about mentoring. Make sure you know what your why or purpose is though strategically, because that's going to make a difference to your pool of mentors as to who you're going to put into it. Mentoring is different from coaching, uh, although it's helpful for mentors to have coaching styles. And if you're setting up a mentoring programme, do think about how you're going to match them, how you're going to get your pool, be realistic about the numbers. Are you going to launch it, provide some sort of kickoff so that it's structured? Is there going to be a defined frequency, cadence and expectations around how often this should take place and some form of contracting in terms of mentor and mentee accountabilities? Are you going to provide oversight? In which case, how are you going to do that and how will you manage it? And will you let them go on indefinitely or will you define an endpoint to your mentoring programmes? So I hope that was useful to you and hopefully interesting. Um, As I say, I mentioned at the start, uh, and I've just mentioned now, there's resources, go to hruprising.com. You can download, I've already done a mentoring contract. We may have a handbook there um, by the time this goes out. So there's always resources you can get. You can also get resources from actus.co.uk. Quick shout out for our programmes, our open programmes we're running. We've now got a whole host of virtual training programmes, which have been so popular. So throughout 2021, I've got How to Be a Change Superhero, which I'm personally running, happening again. We've got a number of virtual management programmes. In fact, I'm going to be very busy delivering training, which I love, um, on 
virtual people and performance management, we've got a great brand new program called Accelerate Potential. And this has been designed for those entry level professionals that have really only known virtual working. So the sort of people we might want to give mentors to who haven't been given any of those foundation skills, they haven't been through their graduate program, they've missed out all of those. So Accelerate Potential is basically your virtual, it could be part of your virtual induction or your virtual graduate program. Um, so you might want to take a look at that. And the other thing, of course, is if you're not already part of our HR Uprising LinkedIn group, do join because I'm going to be looking for a small number of people to join each month on our focus collaboration groups where we start to share best practice, get some great ideas that will become some of the content that I can share with you in future podcasts. So that's all from me. I hope you found it informative and useful. Do get on and enjoy setting up those mentoring programs. Take care. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 